This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Okay. Uh, Pastor Richard is going to come and sing for us this morning. We're going to receive our morning tithes and offering. Let's just task together. Let's, let's be here for what the Lord has for us this morning. Let's be in prayer as Pastor Joe leads us uh, in this morning's word. A song that's easier to sing than it is to do. Oh, I aspire to this. It's entitled, All I Want to Be is Like Jesus. It's like 
And, and we are humble, just your love and your care. Uh, we just um, don't know what to say. I'm going to hurt Jeremy after the service. But anyway, um, thank you so much just for your kindness. Let's just still our hearts. Father, we want to we be like Jesus. And as we open your word, I just pray that this would serve to make us more like you. 
And um, Father, just help us to receive from this what we need to. Fill in the gaps, those things that I maybe should say, and uh, but don't get to it. Lord, I pray that you you would just direct our, our thoughts, our words. Um, Father, just have your will today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if, if you've ever thought of this, but depending on our backgrounds or our education or our interests or even our OCD tendencies... Uh, which they say that everybody has a little bit, you know, we're all OCD to a certain extent. Some are worse than others. But there are things that some of us notice that others don't notice. Uh, just, just a few examples. Some of you can spot a speck of dust in the church before you ever get out of your car. Others of you can walk in and never notice a mud trail that someone left on the carpet. Some of you can notice a picture that is crooked by a 32nd of an inch at a hundred yards, while others of you wouldn't even notice if it were hanging upside down. Another example of how we notice different things. When I see a snow-covered mountain, do you know what I notice? Um, I notice potential routes up the mountain. I, I begin studying the mountain, trying to see what would be the best route to climb, and, and just a little mountain climbing tip from an old-timer. Most people they see that gully that's smooth. They think that's the best place to climb. Um, and, and actually, that's called, more correctly, the couloir, or French would be couloir. But they think that's the best route. Well, on a snow-covered mountain, that's actually the best way to fall into a crevasse and lose your life. But, but that's what I notice, potential routes up the mountain. My wife, on the other hand, she looks at a mountain, doesn't notice the routes. She notices waterfalls or streams below the mountain. The differences between my wife and I continue on in the area of music. She notices things about music that I never noticed. She actually notices the lyrics. I don't know why anybody would ever do that. Uh, but as a trumpet player, I, I don't really pay much attention. And, and if you will see me when a song is being played or sung, many times these three fingers are moving because I'm working out the fingering on the song. And in my mind, I'm, I, I'm playing the trumpet, and, and I don't pay much attention to the words. An, another fact, during musicals, I tolerate the music. Faith enjoys it. Sight and Sound Theater in Branson. We went there just a few weeks ago, and we saw Samson, and, 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 and it's an amazing presentation. But in my humble, yet I think very accurate opinion, the presentation would have been just as good or better if they would have slashed half of the songs. And you don't have to say amen or boo, whatever. My wife disagrees, but I still believe I'm right. Uh, not too long ago, we were invited to attend a banquet, and this was out of town. And they had a lot of music that night. And, and one of the pieces was played by a, a student from the Conservatory of Music. And, and she played a classical piece on the piano that my dad would have called long-haired music, whatever that means. Uh, but, but her talent was amazing, and, and Faith noticed the talent, and, and she was captivated, and, and honestly, I was too, for maybe 10 seconds or so, and they say the confession is good for the soul, and, and I was a bad, bad boy that evening, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me, uh, but I was so bored that I took out my phone and I began texting people, I just text one word, yawn, and, and I, I would have rather have watched paint peel or grass grow, Faith noticed the excellence, I noticed that the song took forever to end. And so because of our, our backgrounds and particular interests, we notice different things. 
Now, in our lesson, the Apostle Paul was writing the letter to the church at Philippi. It was a church that he had planted several years prior. And, uh, and because of his passion for people to stay true to God, he noticed some things about the church that concerned him. Things that the locals didn't notice. They were so close to the situation. And so, as Paul was concerned, our lesson today is a letter of warning from the Apostle Paul. They say, well, why are we talking about it? Because the warning is also for the church of God holiness as well. Let's go to our, our reading, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And today we'll be reading from the NIV, New International Version. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And just keep your Bibles open because we'll be going through a majority of the chapter, chapter this morning. It reads like this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And, and catch this. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. So Paul is basically saying, pardon me, I know we've talked about this before, but it doesn't bother me one bit to bring this to your attention again because, and here it is, because it's a safeguard for you. Now, let me give you some background information that will help you better understand the concerns of Paul. After Jesus rose again, the first century believers were so fired up that they made it a priority to share Christ with everyone. And in Acts chapters 1 through 7, you will see that they first took the gospel to the Jews. Now, not all Jews received it. Uh, some were upset. They threw Paul in prison. But, but overall, sharing the gospel with the Jews at this particular time, Acts chapters 1 through 7, was not overly controversial. But in Acts chapter 8, that began to change. And it began to get ugly when, when some of the Christian Jews decided to take the gospel to the Samaritans who were kind of half-breeds in their minds. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And many of the Jewish Christians struggled with that because they thought the gospel was pretty much exclusively for the Jews. Well, by Acts chapter 10, it got even uglier. When, when some Christian Jews pushed the envelope even further and they took the gospel, not just to the half Jewish Samaritans, uh, but they actually took the gospel to the Gentiles, people who had no Jewish blood in them. Well, if you were raised in church and, and you've read the Bible, you, you know that this turned into a major controversy as the, the strict Jewish Christian leader said, no, 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 wait a minute, too much, too fast. We need to go slow here. We need to be very careful and prayerful about this. And they said, you know, here, here's, we're just going to stick with our guns. And until we hear directly from God on this matter, let's just kind of stay with the policy of allowing Gentiles to accept Christ. But they're going to first have to become Jewish and follow Jewish law. And more specifically, what they were saying is that Gentile, male, Gentile males would have to become circumcised. Now, now speaking very openly this morning... You can only imagine what a tough sell that would be to a grown man. You know, it'd be like saying, uh, hey, guys, come to the altar, give your hearts to Jesus, then prove your love for Jesus by meeting us in the back room where there'll be some guys with scalpels, and they will make sure that you complete the process of being Jewish. In other words, don't just say you love Jesus, prove it, be a real man. Just kind of on a sidebar here, back 20, 30 years ago in the Church of God Holiness, and I think some of you would remember this, it was common for people who were testifying during a church service, they would say, um, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and I'm satisfied. How many of you remember that? Those of you that were raised in the Church of God Holiness. Oh, yeah, saved, sanctified, and satisfied. And after hearing that a thousand times, and again, I was a bad boy, I was carnal, but I wanted to whisper, and petrified, saved, sanctified, satisfied, and petrified. But, but anyway, these men, 
they were basically being forced to say, well, I'm saved and sanctified and circumcised. Now, in church, it's enough of a struggle just to get men to attend. And I don't think this additional requirement would have been very seeker sensitive. <laughs> would have been very appealing. So in Acts chapter 15, to discuss and, and resolve this matter, they came together at a conference known as the Council of Jerusalem. And some of you remember this. And, and they began to hash this out. They battled out this matter. And, and after much discussion, here's what they decided. They said, okay, if you're a Gentile male, you will no longer have to be circumcised to become a Christian. You can become a Christian just by accepting Christ by faith. Well, that was huge. And, and so that set the Apostle Paul and others free to take the gospel to all people and be able to tell them that to become a follower of Jesus, all that mattered was heart purity and to be made right with God. Well, as usual, there were some people that didn't like the decision of the Jerusalem Council, and, and they were called Judaizers. Now, most of the Judaizers were, were, were Jewish, yet there were a few Gentiles. Listen to this. They had already gone through circumcision and so they cried not fair they said you made me get circumcised as an adult and that wasn't very pleasant but i did it to become a follower of jesus now you're saying it's not necessary not fair now you tell me and, and so what these judaizers would do what they would follow the apostle Paul around and after he would leave a particular church, a particular community, that they would, they would go in there and say, yes, what Paul said is good. Gentiles can become Christians, but they still need to follow the Jewish law and become circumcised. Well, through this whole ordeal, the apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three felt it necessary to address this matter as well as a couple of other matters. And, and again, these were issues that the local congregation didn't notice as being a problem. That they were so close to the situation. And, and sometimes, you know, those of us in a church that attend here every Sunday, we don't necessarily see our problems, but someone else coming in, they can note, you know, the warts that we have and, and, and the deficiencies. And, and so uh, Paul noticed this. They didn't. Let's look at three dangers Paul addresses. Because, again, they're dangers that the church of God holiness faces. The first danger, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, is the danger of legalism. Now, what is legalism? Well, a very simplistic definition and maybe overly, uh, overly simple, but let me just define legalism this way. Legalism is substituting rules for relationship. In other words, it's saying, I'm going to be made right with God by what I do or maybe by what I don't do. Now, most of the time, legalism, listen to this, involves some good and wholesome rules things that we would all agree with, or it involves some good church traditions or even some good biblical guidelines. But, but legalism is when we elevate those rules or we elevate that tradition or that practice into a requirement to get into heaven. And so to combat this danger, listen to what Paul said in, in verse 2. He, he said, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Well, the, the dogs that Paul was referring to, he was actually taking a jab at these legalistic Jews because the Jews would often call the Gentiles dogs. And so Paul was kind of putting it back in their face. He was turning the tables on them and saying, okay, you refer to the Gentiles as dogs. I'm going to put it back in your face and call you dogs. 
And he went a couple of steps further and called them evil and mutilators of the flesh. And, and of course, there he's referring to those who pushed for circumcision. Well, in the next, very next verse, Paul talks about the circumcision that's important. And, and this was a circumcision that was for both men and women. He said in verse 3, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, he, would say, he was saying that those of us who worship God, we are the ones who have truly been circumcised. No, it's not a physical circumcision. Rather, it's a spiritual circumcision. It is a heart circumcision. You know, we've been made right, not by keeping a tradition that's been around for a hundred years. We've been made right, not by circumcision, physical circumcision. Rather, we've been made right with God because of God's spirit, by grace through faith, not of works, not of tradition, not of rules, but by grace through faith. Well, then Paul goes on and says in verse four, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so he said, hey, if anybody could really brag a little bit, me. Listen to my religious resume. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. By the way, the eighth day was the right day. That was the right day to be circumcised. Um, Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Can I just change it up and, and, and give this spiritual resume for our setting today, it would be like saying, okay, I was born into a Christian home. I grew up in the church. I was dedicated as a baby. I was later on baptized. I sat on the front row, piano side. I went to church Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, revivals at our church and at any other revival any other church that had a revival and <clears throat> oh yes the church that i attended was the true church it wasn't one of those knockoff churches that's just shallow and fluff my church was the real deal paul had the whole religious thing covered he be- he believed the right way he behaved the right way And as a Pharisee, he didn't just follow the Ten Commandments, but he followed the 613 commandments for Pharisees. Catch that. 613. And by the way, there were some whacked out ones. Let me give you just three of them. They were into guarding the Sabbath. And one of the rules was that you couldn't quit. I don't know what this would do for you. Uh, They couldn't eat an egg that was laid by a chicken on the Sabbath. Uh, and that's right, couldn't eat an egg that was laid by a chicken uh, on the Sabbath. And, and somehow, I'm not quite sure how, but that surely got to tie into the reason that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. I know that was really bad. I'm sorry. Forgive me. <clears throat> bad, bad. There, there was, uh, there was an, another one that said if you were bitten by a mosquito on the Sabbath, you couldn't scratch it because that would be work. There's another one, ladies, and this is for you. You were not allowed to look into any kind of reflective surface on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out. And I don't know if that was work or hunting or pride. <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not sure what that sin would be, but I'm, I'm, it was something there. 
Now we look at, at that and go, that's ridiculous. They were whacked out for sure. I mean, who would be so dingy to, to, to think such craziness? Newsflash. We're just as legalistic today. Now, it looks a little bit different. But here are some of the areas of our legalism. Um, can, can I just borrow a, a Cedar County phrase? And those of you that are from St. Clair and, and Vernon, you, you get a pass. Maybe you're guilty too, I don't know. But <clears throat> here is a Cedar County phrase that is so offensive to me. Many people in this area believe they're going to heaven because they talk to the man upstairs. I don't know why that's so offensive to me. It just about turns me inside out. But, but they believe that the simple act of saying a quick prayer to someone they're too embarrassed to call God, they believe that's enough to get them to heaven. Or sometimes legalism pokes its head up and says, well, I'm right with God because I dress right. And I don't go after these modern dress fads, and so therefore they walk around looking like an unmade bed, believing that sloppiness is the look of godliness. Here's, a, here's another form of legalism. I, I've heard people brag and say, well, I don't even have a Facebook account, as if that makes them more spiritual. I'm serious. We, we, we chuckle about that, but I am serious. I've had people in this church, um, they believe not having a Facebook account is a sign of spirituality. Or, or, or sometimes we get legalistic and say, well, because our church teaches the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. And, and we are holiness. Pity the other churches that haven't seen the light. Or we sometimes show our legalism because we think we baptize the right way. Oh, no way do we pour. We don't sprinkle. We dunk. Or we take communion the right way and with the right frequency and we use the King James Version translation of the Bible. And uh, uh, there are some people, honestly, that believe that the, the Apostle Paul used the King James Version. I, I, I'm sorry, but that's the epitome of ignorance. Maybe we shouldn't put that on the live stream. Can you delete that off really fast? But do you see how it is easy for Christians to get sucked into a legalistic mindset. Now, here's what legalism does. It causes us to live with guilt because you will always find other people that do more than you do. You will find someone that reads his Bible through twice a year and you've never gotten through it once. So there's guilt. Or you will find somebody that talks about praying 30 minutes a day and you struggle to pray five minutes a day. There's guilt. Or you're pretty good about going to church every Sunday morning, but so-and-so goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You feel guilt. But then on the other side of the coin, legalism leads to false confidence. And, hey, look at me. I'm more spiritual because I do go to church three times a week, and you only go Sunday morning. So we're pretty prideful of that. Or, or I'm more spiritual because when I go to church, I raise my hand during the singing, and you don't. And I raise it like this. Not like this, because this way the spirit can flow down through my arms into my heart. I don't know where it came up with that, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> or I say amen to help out the struggling preacher and, you know, you just sit there like a bump on a log. Or, or our church is more spiritual because, baby, we are old hymns only. And 
And then others say, well, we're more spiritual. We're contemporary music only because the Bible says sing a new song, not the old ones. Paul says, don't go there. He says, watch out for false teachers who suck you into legalism. Man, that's good preaching. I wish somebody would help me out with an amen. <laughs> Let, let's look at the second danger Paul warns about, and that is the danger of worldly distractions. And I don't know about you, but I can be distracted so easily when it comes to spiritual things. And here is how Satan works. He, he distracts us through pleasure and you know, good things, wholesome things like sports and hunting and fishing and, and shopping. And that, that's not wholesome, but the others are wholesome. You know, all of that kind of stuff. He distracts us through those good things. Satan distracts us through our possessions. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with having possessions, but there's something wrong when our possessions have us. Satan distracts us through our family. And, and how many times do I hear, well, my family is number one. They better not be number one. God better be number one. But sometimes, unfortunately, our family is number one and we sacrifice spiritual things for our family. You know, he distracts us through school activities. And I don't know if you parents, your kids are involved in things always on the go. And those are good things. But sometimes, wow, we're so distracted because of that. He distracts us through good church activities. Back about 20 years ago in a church, kind of the, the push was, the trend was, let's have so many activities where we can have people involved in, in, in things doing something every night of the week. And so sometimes Satan uses the church to get us off track. And so Paul, with some very strong terms, addresses this danger. And he said this in verse 7, he said, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not just obeying the rules, not just going through circumcision, but of knowing Him personally. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, did you hear that word rubbish? Say the word rubbish. One, two, three. Now, say it like it's nasty and kind of growl a little bit. One, two, three. Rubbish. I did a little bit of research on the Greek word translated rubbish, and it's the word skubala. Can you say it? Skubala, one, two, three. Skubala. And the most literal translation of this word is it's kind of like dung, but it's actually more harsh than the word dung. It's almost like a bad word. And so Paul, for emphasis, was really close to saying a bad word. He was saying that all these things of the world, pleasure, riches, sex, power, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, they're scubala, they're dung, they're waste. Verse 9, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And then Paul gives a verse that's been one of my life verses for years. In fact, in college, I, I, I kind of adopted this verse and it's a prayer for myself. It says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead and. Oh, we could camp here for an hour. I love this verse. I want to know Christ. But Paul has one more warning for us. And that's the danger of spiritual complacency. 
Complacency is a destructive force throughout society. It's a destructive force in our marriages. When we begin to get complacent, take our spouse for granted, we're probably headed for trouble. Complacency takes its toll even in raising our kids. We're we're more concerned about our kids' performance on the sports field or in the academic field and become complacent about their spiritual development. And I want to say something. I pray the Holy Spirit would just drive it deep into our heart and that you will be mature and not be upset. But in comparison to the amount of time that we spend making sure that our kids get to experience sports and swimming and all of the academic opportunities, parents, how much time do you devote to the spiritual development of your children? And you know, I know what it is and you know, when my girls were growing up, I, I know what it is to try to follow them around everywhere. And, you know, you're exhausted by the end of the week, just all of the things that they were involved in. And, uh, but thinking back over the last month, parents, all the stuff that you did with your kids, I'm sure it was all good. But did you spend an equal amount of time devoted to your kids' spiritual development? We can become so complacent in that area. You know, we can become spiritually complacent in our giving. And, you know, you're such a generous church. But we get more, make more and more money and we consume more and buy more for ourselves. And many times, of course, studies show that the more money we make, the less percentage we give. We become complacent about serving others. We begin to think that life is all about satisfying our own needs. And then Paul says this statement from prison awaiting this possible execution. Philippians 3.12 Not that I've already obtained all this or have been already been made perfect, but I press on. Catch this. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He was saying, I haven't arrived yet. I, I'm still pressing forward. I'm, I'm giving it my best shot. And, and you can lock me up in prison. You can, but you can't shut me up. As long as I've got a pen in my hand and parchment to write on, I'm going to keep trying to encourage the churches. And you can chain me up to a bunch of different guards. And guess what? One by one, I'm going to try to lead them to Jesus. I press on. I press on. I press on. I can't afford to become comfortable and complacent. You know, we've already uh, talked about this this morning, this tragedy in, in Branson at Table Rock Lake. And let me just say something. This is not the time for us to begin to blame. Well, shouldn't have been doing this or they should have been doing this. We just need to pray for the families. They, they, this is a tragedy. But I, from what I understand, this company, 47 years and this is the first accident. Now, the reason I'm even bringing this up is because that's the way Satan works with us. You know, Silas McGee, I, I love the man. Our, uh, he's 89 years old. And I, I asked him, I said, Silas, have you ever come to the point where you're not tempted to do, to do anything bad anymore? 
He said, oh, no, not at all. Not at all. But I think sometimes whenever we've been serving the Lord for a lot of years, we get so comfortable and complacent and think, you know what, I I pretty much figured this thing out and Satan's not going to get me. And he nails us. This past week, I also experienced a tragedy. I experienced the loss of a friend. Uh, Jim was a friend of mine and... I met him uh, climbing Kilimanjaro in Africa a year, year and a half ago. Now, Jim is just a great guy. He's actually on staff, was on staff for Campus Crusade. Now it's called Crew. But uh, Jim, um, as far as a mountain climber, he was it. I mean, he was far beyond me as far as being seasoned and trained. And he taught at a university and uh, for a while in Colorado, taught climbing, trekking, and as far as just knowing about it, he, he was the best. He'd summited Denali, he'd summited Aconcagua, which is the tallest mountain outside of the Himalayas, and uh, he had summited uh, Kilimanjaro three times, was heading back there in three months to do some training for Christian leaders, and then he was going to also climb it again. Uh, when I climbed with him, what I noticed is that he was the guy that did everything by the book. I, when I climb, you know, with the, the guys that are with me, I, I'm really careful with them. And we're going to Colorado, Lord willing, in, in, a, in a week and a half to climb a 14er with some of the guys from the church. I'm really careful with them. I don't want an accident. I've never had, thank the Lord, an accident with them. But, you know, with me, I, I'm kind of a free spirit. And, and I may not do everything by the book. I like to have a good time. I'm trying to be careful. But anyway, I'm a free spirit. Whereas Jim did everything by the book. But anyway, this past Thursday morning, I was rocked because... I got the news before it actually hit the press that Jim was climbing a mountain and he fell to his death. He was in Scotland. His wife was there on business, so he decided to climb the Ben Nevis, which is the tallest mountain in the UK. It's only 400 or 4,400 feet, not a tall mountain, but there are difficult routes, a bunch of different routes. Anyway, his guy said, uh, I don't know what happened. I heard a noise behind me and I turned and Jim was tumbling down the mountain and he died in the fall. And, and I thought, Jim, uh, you know, I thought anybody but Jim. I mean, Jim's climbed tall mountains. He's climbed in the Himalayas and Jim, Jim's a good climber. I thought anybody but him. But that's what Satan does. And every once in a while you hear how, how, how Satan has been able to grab somebody that has been in the church, somebody that has been following Jesus for so long, but yet he saw a weakness there and he got him. And that's what happens when there's uh, complacency, when we get too comfortable serving the Lord. So uh, th- this morning... I just sense that maybe through the Apostle Paul, we should issue a little bit of a warning. Paul says, okay, watch out for legalism. Don't get wrapped up in a bunch of rules and traditions and miss the power of knowing Christ personally. So I want to just ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus. 
And then watch out for those distractions. Don't, don't get distracted by a bunch of scubala and miss the glory of knowing the power of the resurrected Christ. And then don't get comfortable spiritually. Let, let God build a fire within you. Press on, press on, press on, press on for His glory. Can I pray for you this morning before we leave? I want to just ask God to do something within us to where we would know Jesus and the power of His resurrection. Would you just stand and as we pray together, Father, we thank you for this powerful, powerful chapter that you included in, in the word that we have. Lord, I, I, I pray that we would not be caught in, in the grip of legalism, to where we're relying on something that we do or don't do to get us to heaven. Lord, we would remember that it's by grace through faith. Lord, I pray that we would not be distracted by stuff, by scubala, rubbish. Lord, I pray that we would not be distracted by that and miss knowing Jesus. And then, Lord, there are some people here that have been serving you for many, many years, and there are some that are just relatively new. But Father, I pray that, I pray that today, God, I pray that this week you would help us to not be complacent, help us to be careful, knowing that, as that old song says, Satan is a sly old fox, and he's watching, he's waiting for that moment of weakness. God, guard us from becoming complacent. Lord, this week I pray that we would just know you in the power of the resurrection, that, that there would be something different and special about our week because that your presence would be so real, that it would be not just going through the motions. Lord, that we would not be guilty of nominal Christianity, but we would know Jesus in the power of his resurrection. God, I pray that this week there would just be such a closeness with you and that we would make a difference, help us to change the world around us. And so, God, we thank you again for just the amazing grace that you've given to us, for the mercy. And as we go from here, Lord, we just, we just express our love to you and we thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.